Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Uh, we're talking about Holy Ghost power. We're going to read from Romans uh, 15 in just a moment. But you know we're living in the last of the last days. How many of you know that? We know we're living in the last of the last days for obvious reasons. We know that uh, Israel became a nation in 1948, and then a, a war was fought in 1967, and they took control of Jerusalem. And we know that. So Jerusalem is now under you know, the power of, uh, of, of Israel. For, of course, for 2,000 years it wasn't, but praise God, now it is. And so we know that. And also we know that we're living in the time of the Laodicean church, right? The seven churches of Asia Minor, how we know represent the church age throughout history. And we're living in the Laodicean church age right now. And you know what that means? It just means that everybody's wanting what they want. It's almost like anarchy exists. We want to be able to do what we want to do, live the way we want to live, have what we want to have and all that. And even when people go to church, they don't want to hear the truth for some reason. I don't know why. But... You know, they, all they want to hear is a good a message that makes them feel good. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd rather be challenged in the Word of God Amen. than just to hear a message that makes me feel good because I just want to feel good about what I'm doing, even if it's wrong. If it's wrong, I want to know it's wrong. What about you? If it's right, I want to know that it's right. What about you? Because I want to please God, not myself. But in the last days, what did Paul say? There'll be perilous times. Perilous times will take place among us. People will be lovers of their own selves. And that means they want what they want. And they want to experience what they want to do, no matter what. Whether it's immorally wrong, it doesn't really matter. Because you see, it's almost like you're an entity in yourself, and you can call your own shots. That's the kind of church world that we're living in right now. And it's sad to see, but it's happening all around us. We thought it would never happen, but it's happening right now. So we know we're in the Laodicean church age right now during this particular time. And so uh, it's important that we recognize that. And then also, we understand that if, if you, you take a generation from 1967... Even 50 years, 2000, say 51 years, 2018. This coming could be right around the corner, right? Could be. No one sets a time, no one knows the date, but it's close. All right. Romans 15, beginning at verse 8. What we want is not to come to church service and just have a feel-good thing. We want the truth. And we want to walk in the light of the truth. We want to honor God in this place, magnify Him in this place. If need be, get on our faces before Him in this place and believe to see the greater glory of God on display and in manifestation within our midst. We've come together to see Him, to honor Him and allow Him to manifest Himself in us and through us. Because when Jesus walked on this planet, you know what His concern was? Not about buildings, not about religious tradition. He said that nullifies the word of God, makes it of none effect. Not concerned about a person's particular status, whether it was a Nicodemus or a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a Herodian. It didn't matter to him who they were. What was concerned, as far as he was concerned, the house of the Lord is to be a house of purity, prayer, power, and perfected praise. A place where people meet together to honor the living God and invite his presence in among them. And in that place of his presence, they are divinely changed from glory to glory. That's where change comes from. That's where change takes place. When we give place to the divine presence of Almighty God. Now, we're talking about 
Holy Ghost power. Amen. Holy Ghost power. I know these scriptures might seem a little bit odd to you to talk about Holy Ghost power in this lesson number five, but you'll get on in just a moment. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this cause I will confess thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. How are they to abound in hope? Through the power of the Holy Ghost. We're talking about Holy Ghost power. This is his dispensation. He has been sent, as Jesus said, I'm going to send the promise of the Father. He's here. This is his dispensation. He is moving and manifesting himself. And I believe wherever hearts are hungry, he'll find those hungry hearts. And he will show up. And he will demonstrate power, glory, and might. Because you see, Jesus on earth was concerned about the well-being of humanity. Not about buildings, not about structure. He was concerned about helping people get saved, get healed, get delivered, get set free, restored after they would repent, and the list goes on and on. He was more concerned about people than anything else. He actually said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, Recovering of sight to the blind, set a liberty to bruise, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That is the gospel message, the good news. And I don't believe he's changed. He's the same yesterday, today, forever, and always. And he has never changed, and he will never change. He is concerned about broken-hearted humanity. And he's always going to be that way. And so, if we're in tune with his heartbeat, we're looking out for people to get saved, to get delivered, to get set free, to get made whole, to walk uprightly before the living God, to honor Him with their lives so that He can fulfill His purpose in their lives. And that's to make them every whit whole. Now, we know we all face an enemy that just absolutely hates us. Did you know that? Can't stand any of us. Matter of fact, He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. All He wants to do is bring destruction and despair into the lives of human beings. But I've also read somewhere where God is greater in us than he that is in the world. And he cares about us. He's gone to bat for us. He's fought for us. He defends us. He is greater than our enemy. And since he is, praise God, then we should be the victorious ones, not the enemy. Would you agree? Well, if that's true, that he is greater, why does it seem as though that believers have a difficult time experiencing the victory that Jesus bought and paid for with his precious holy blood? Well, it can't be God's fault. Let me put it that way. It cannot be God's fault. Why? Because he's done everything he need to do, needed to do to save us, to deliver us. To give us power over all the power of the enemy. Jesus made that very clear. That we have power over all the power of the enemy. So it's not God's fault. There's something that we need to see. 
that we need to understand so we can cooperate with God and appropriate everything that Jesus bought and paid for with his precious blood. It is up to believers to receive Christ as healer, as deliverer, as baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. As a non-believer, we received him as what? Savior and Lord of our lives. So there wasn't one more thing he had to do to save us. What we needed to do was to come to the cross, to lay down our lives, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. That was what we needed to do. And so praise God, because we've done that, we're saved and washed in the blood. And because we came to be filled with Holy Ghost power, we're filled with the evidence, of course, of the manifestations of the Spirit. And because we've come to receive Him as healer, the door to His healing power is open to every single one of us so that we can receive His healing virtue from on high. Praise God. Now, look at verse 8 again in this text. Jesus came as a minister. He said He came to minister. He was on a mission to minister, not to buildings, but to people. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, which means he was sent to the Jews for the truth of God. Why? To confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Jesus came as the Jewish Messiah. And what did he come to do? Fulfill the prophecies and all the promises that were made to Abraham and the Jewish people. And that's what he came to do. And when he died on Calvary's cross and he said it is finished, he was talking about the obligation God made to Abraham and the Jewish people through these promises and prophecies. And they were all filled, fulfilled by Jesus. He fulfilled the law. It was all completely done. So if Jesus did exactly what he was to do, he fulfilled all these prophecies and promises. Why is it that they didn't receive is it God's fault? They rejected him? Did they not? And because they did, they're in a state of defilement. And these are not my words, but the words of the rabbis from the Temple Institute that say Israel is in a state of defilement. They have no temple. They have no priesthood. They have no means to offer sacrifices. They have no red heifer. And the list goes on and on for all these thousands of years, a few 2,000 years. They're in a state of defilement, not because of God, but because they rejected his Messiah, their Messiah. So we can't put the blame on God when the blame is to rest squarely on the shoulders of the people who rejected him. He came to his own and his own received him not. So they're not experiencing God's saving grace and so on, not because of God, but because of them. So any Jewish person who wants to can come to the cross. And many do, don't they? And once they come, they've got the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ made available to each and every one of them. Now let's look at 9 through 12 again. And we see something else. He came to minister to the Jewish people. But now notice the shift here. Here, Paul the apostle. And who taught Paul the gospel? Jesus did. And notice what he's saying here. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now he chooses to use four different Old Testament passages of scripture to reveal to us that the door to salvation is open for the Gentiles to come in. As it is written, 
For this cause I will confess thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Two, again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, thirdly, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, fourthly, Isaiah said, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. You better say amen to this one. You better say thank you, Jesus. What's it saying to us? Four passages of scriptures that Jesus uses from the Jewish scriptures to really convince the Jewish people that now he's turned over to the Gentiles to bring them into the family of God. Because you see, from the very beginning when he made a promise to Abraham and said, in thee would all the nations of the world be blessed, he wasn't just referring to the nation of Israel because it didn't even exist when he said that. But through the nation of Israel, he would bring in the Messiah, and when the Messiah comes in, he'll make provision for all nations of the world to come in and be blessed and receive his saving grace. And so he uses these four as examples, scriptures, to let them know, look, salvation is for everyone, not just for the Jewish people. It's for everyone. And thank God that includes you and that includes me. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that no matter where you are as a sinner, you can come to the cross? No matter what nation you live in, what people group you come from, your ethnicity doesn't matter. Anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can and will be saved. Hallelujah. Well, let's move on to verse 13. And here it is, the power-packed verse of Scripture. Look at all these words. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Notice the first two words, fill, fill you, and abound. So fill and abound. Those two words carry the meaning of being filled to the top and overflowing. Filled to the top and overflowing. Are you filled to the top and overflowing right now? Maybe when you came in, you were only half full. Maybe when you came in, you're only three-quarter full. But I want to make you a guarantee by the time you walk out that door, you're going to be filled to the top and overflowing with the power and the glory and the majesty of the living God. You're going to have a spring in your step, praise God, and you're going to be on a mission to tell other people out there about the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Filled with the Holy Ghost and power. Amen? So he wants them filled with, what are the other words? Filled with joy. Filled with peace. Filled with hope. Notice, filled with joy, overflowing joy. It's a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Filled with peace that passes all understanding to keep our hearts and minds. Filled with hope. What a blessed hope we have that he's going to come again for us. And when he comes, praise God, we're going to have a glorified body. And this blessed hope motivates us to do what? Purify ourselves even as he is pure. So he wants us filled to overflowing with what? Joy. Why? The joy of the Lord is our strength. If the devil can get us down, if he can fill our hearts with sorrow, he knows he can sap our strength. But praise God, our joy doesn't come from the world. The world didn't give it. The world can't take it away. Our joy comes from the presence of the living God on the inside of us. It's joy unspeakable, indescribable, and full of glory. And if we find ourselves without a spring in our step and any joy to muster up, then you know what? We need to get filled again. We need to get refilled again. 
no matter how you do that, get refilled again, praise God. Pray in the Holy Ghost for a while. Put on a CD. Listen to a cassette if you still have one. Right? Whatever it might be. You know, Andrew's video was on, on, on the 700 Club today again. It was on, I think, a couple of times today, two or three times today. We got a lot of calls um, for, for the book. People that wanted to get the book. And one from London called. One from California called. One from Montana called. And wanting copies of the book. You know, and, and just watching it again and listening to the testimony. Listening to what people said. One lady said, I've got a son who is in a similar situation. I'm in, in need of dire help. But this gave me hope. You know what? What a thrill, what a joy to know that your testimony, my testimony, Andrew's testimony could minister life to somebody who is in need. To inspire them to rise up and get a hold of God and believe God no matter what they're going through. Praise God. Amen. Well, bless the Lord. Praise God. We can be full of joy. And what about peace? Shalom. Perfect peace. This is the state of absolute perfection in God. In spirit, in soul, in body, in a place of perfect peace. He wants us overflowing with that peace. Because you see, our mind is, when it stayed on Him, at perfect peace. And then, like I said, the hope that we have of the return of our Lord. The hope that we have of a glorified body. Being reunited with our loved ones on the other side in glory. Walking on streets of gold and experiencing all the rewards of our labors. So we have a blessed hope, too. But notice the other two words that are hidden in these in, in this one verse, verse 13, by believing and the power of the Holy Ghost. By believing and the power of the Holy Ghost. Notice that. How is this materialized? How does this take place? Believing means by faith. And secondly, by the power of the Holy Ghost that we have on the inside of us. Those two things. It's a work of faith with power. And when we yield to the Word of God by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, we have set in motion that which will enable us to rise up to a place of victory and not be overcome by the enemy in our lives. Now, it doesn't matter whether we're a Jew or a Gentile. If we have come to Christ, if we've come to God by Christ, then we have available to us all the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. And you know what? It just sometimes just puzzles me and amazes me when I hear people say, but you know, the Jews are the chosen people. I got news for you. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly. And circumcision is not in the flesh by the letter. He is a Jew who's one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart in the spirit. What is he saying? Yes, he used the Jewish people to bring in the Messiah. But the Messiah has come. And now that he has come, the Father's dream for a family can come true. And if we will come to Jesus, whether we're a Jew or a Gentile, we are twice born. You could say it's, we become twice the children of God. One, by birth. Two, by adoption. So... Twice we become the children of God. Now are we the sons of God. We are the people of God. We are the family of God. 
And we thank God for the people, the Jewish people. But remember, it's up to us to do what? Bring them to Christ through jealousy. To make them jealous because we know God as Father. We know Him as Redeemer, as Savior, as Lord, as King. Amen. And it's up to us, the children of God, to bring them in by making them jealous. They should want what we have because they lost everything that they had. There's no more veil to separate the, the Holy of Holies from the Ark of the Covenant because there's no Ark of the Covenant. That means there's no Shekinah glory there. Even if they had a, a red heifer to offer a sacrificial animal, guess what? There's no one to offer it to. He's not there anymore. That veil was ripped from the top to the bottom by probably an angel or angelic being. And when it was open, praise God, the Shekinah glory left. Anybody could walk in that place. Now you don't have to wait a year for the high priest to go in there with blood. Why? Because the last blood sacrifice was already sacrificed. The blood has been already applied to the altar. And you and I have redemption through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Well, I want you to see something with me. Two things. It's a work of faith with power. It's not separate, but the work of faith with power. Look in scriptures in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. The work of God is a work of faith with power. And if we want to rise up to a place of overcoming faith and victory over the circumstances of life that we face, it's up to us to recognize these blessed truths. God's work is a work of faith with power. And by faith and power, we appropriate all that Jesus shed his blood for. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his will, of, of his goodness, and the work of his and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it is a work of faith with power. Why? That the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified in us. The name of the Lord Jesus was glorified when Peter and John said "Take up, to rise up and walk and the lame man was healed. They were the name of the Lord Jesus was glorified. Right? And we see that happening throughout all the book of Acts. When the seven sons of Sceva, if you recall that story, remember them? They tried to cast out this demon and they got attacked by the demon and they went running down the street naked. Remember that? Sure. Because they tried to invoke the name of Jesus that Paul preacheth. And the demon said, we know Paul, we know Jesus, but who in the world are you? Right? And then the name of the Lord was glorified among all the people. Amen. Well, beloved, the work of God is a work of faith with power. So the name of Jesus would be glorified. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Here the apostle Paul once again. And who taught Paul the gospel? And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Why? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul saying, look, I'm only concerned about one thing, Christ and him crucified. You see, the gospel is the power of God. Look at Romans chapter 1, 16, 17, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek, the gospel is the power of God. And the gospel is good news. The good news is Jesus came. He died. He rose again on the third day. He's victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And he's, he showed himself alive to prove that there's life, praise God, after death. He conquered it all for you and for me. And he gave us the power of eternity to use his name as we live our lives here upon the earth. That's great news. That's good news. And our faith should be in the finished work of Christ upon Calvary. 
And you know what? We should be preaching from our pulpits the same gospel of Jesus Christ as they were preaching on the day of Pentecost. He is Lord of all. He is victorious over all. No matter what your situation is in life, go to the cross, go to Jesus, go to the blood, go to the victory that we have in Him. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to save, to heal, preserve, deliver, and set free. It's to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice to both, the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. You put those two together, what do you get? The just shall live by faith in the gospel, the fa or faith in the, in the power of the Spirit of God, the power of God. So we have these two powers coming together, working together. And as they come together, I believe you've got the greatest move of God ever on this planet. And before he comes again, we're going to see the greatest outpouring and working of God's mighty power as people begin to rise up and realize, you know what? The key is not my performance. The key is not how good I am. The key is not how many works I can do. The key is maybe not even praying more on my knees. The key is in, is in this. It's the work of faith with power. I believe to see the glory of God. I believe faith to see the glory power of God. You realize that if you've got the right key, it's easy to open up the door. But I'll tell you what, if you've got the wrong key and you try to get in that door, you can try and try and try harder and harder and harder. You can work at it and work at it. Someone ever give you a set of keys and say, here, open up that door. 50 keys on the ring, open up that door, and here you are trying and trying and trying, and the door's not opening, and you're getting frustrated because you can't find the right key. But when you found the right key, what happened? It opened instantly, right? What's the key? Faith and power. What's the key? Believing from the heart in the power of God that it's greater than any power, any force that we can face upon this planet. And so God wants us to believe to see the glory of God. I'm believing to see the glory of God manifest in this place in greater degree and greater measure every time we assemble ourselves together. Can you agree with me on that? Will you believe with me for that? I mean that. I believe to see God at work, the glory of God at work, the power of God at work. My desire is people who are lost walk through the door, and when they walk through the door, they have to run to the altar and repent on their knees because of the presence of the living God that is so profoundly manifested that they can't stay in that presence without repenting before God. You see, we've got to have the same kind of hunger and thirst today like there once was this kind of hunger. But like I said, people want to come to church sit in a pew, have popcorn, and maybe a drink, or something like that. That's not church. Oh my goodness. Reverence God. Respect God. Bow before the throne of God. Let's act like He's here. You ask Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and full of glory, and the angels cried, Holy, 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 Did he knock someone on with his elbow and just say, hey, you got anything to drink? No. Got something to eat? This is getting pretty good. I like what I'm seeing here. No. He fell on his knees and says, woe unto me. I am undone. There was a revelation of his person. Right? Right there. He saw himself. 
There was clarity. He saw his own condition. There was conviction upon his soul. I need cleanse from this. There was cleansing that came. And then there was commission to go forth and proclaim what he just saw. Someone said, well, that was him before the throne. That'd be nice if we could experience that. You've got something better than that. We've got something better than that. We've got Christ in us, the hope of glory. That was the old covenant. We've got the new covenant. In him is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And guess what? We are complete in him. He has raised us up, made us sit together with him in the high heavenly places. He has empowered us by his spirit. I'll be honest with you. He's done everything that was needed to be done. He's done it all for us. We all have it right now. You know what the problem is today? People are trying to get what they already have. We're all trying to get what we have. You've got it. It's time to start declaring it. Faith proclaims it. I have it. But with his stripes, we were healed. I have healing. He delivered us from the powers of darkness. I am delivered. Instead of walking around talking about how the devil's after me, putting this on me, doing all that to me. No, I've been delivered from the powers of darkness. See, how many times do I have to say it? Say it till it registers upon your heart. When it rushes upon your heart, the devil's going to know you mean business. And when it comes out of your mouth, it's going to come out with faith-filled words. And when it comes out of your mouth with faith-filled words, the glory's going to fall. And the power of God's going to manifest. And the work of God's going to be done in all of our lives. I'm not saying this to challenge you. I'm saying this to challenge me. I'm the same boat you are. i got the same kind of flesh you do. We face the same kind of situations every single day of our lives. And you know what? There's no time to lose. God wants us to get to a place that we mature in the things of God and take a stand and start believing God for greater manifestations. If Jesus has already done everything for us, the problem is not with Jesus. It wasn't the problem of Jesus with the Jews or any Gentile. We have to come to him. Now, does that challenge you? Well, look at uh, in Romans, or I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Another challenging verse. Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus is concluded right here when he says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that's somewhere off in the universe. That's found in one of your favorite preachers. No. Where is this power? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Power comes... By the power and anointing of the Spirit of God, when He anoints us, when He enters into us, this power we have in an earthen vessel, this is the glory of God. And where is it? Inside, inside of us. i got to believe it's in me. We need to start saying it more and more. Every single day, He's in me and He's greater than anything I face in the world. The power of God is working. The word worketh means efficiently operative or active in my life. How does that power become efficiently operative and active? By us declaring it, proclaiming it, praying in the Holy Ghost, stirring up the gift of God. I've got the glory. You've got the glory. We've got the power, but it's here on the inside of us. The gospel is the power of God. We've got the power of God within, and by faith we proclaim it. Now, the next thing, look at Mark eleven twenty three. Believing is of the heart and this is the key that we need to use to access the fullness of the grace of God it's by faith we access the grace of God wherein we stand what's the key you'll see it in this verse for verily I say unto you 
that whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have what he says. This is, of course, the law of faith. How does it work? One believes from the heart, or doesn't doubt in his heart, but he believes that what he says will come to pass. When he speaks to a mountain, he believes the mountain must be removed. And if he doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, what will he have? According to Jesus, he will have whatsoever he saith. Now, that sounds simple enough, doesn't it? But notice this. He's not talking mental assent here. He's not talking mentally agreeing to what the scriptures teach. You know how easy that is? It's simple. I can agree to what the scriptures teach. I can agree easily to what the scriptures teach. That's this. That's intellect. That's called mental assent. But faith is not of the head. Faith is of the heart. This is the key we've been looking for. It's a heart issue. It's a matter of the heart of a person. Look in Proverbs chapter 3. Look at these verses here. And I want to mention something here about faith and the heart. My son, forget not my law, but let your head... Oh, you're awake. Let your heart keep my commandments. For like the days, long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine... What? Heart. Look at chapter 4. In verse 23, trust the Lord, no, chapter 4. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart, your heart, your heart with all diligence, because out of it are the issues of life. Flood the issues of life. The forces of life come out of the spirit of a man. We have to protect it diligently. Why? It's so easy for us to become complacent. Because we know the scriptures. We know what they say. It's easy to get pride in the way. And to think because I know the scriptures, I'm operating in the scriptures. You know what? There's a big difference between knowing them and operating in them. Walking in the light of them. We may know what they say. We may quote what they say. But the thing is, it has to be a reality within. Go to that chapter 3 again, now verse 5. Trust the Lord with all your what? See, faith is a heart issue. It's not just an understanding issue. It's a heart issue. It's not a mental issue. From the heart, I lean not on my understanding. Look at this, the distinction between the two, the heart and the mind. Mind, will, emotions, intellect. You know, my mind tells me one thing, but my heart tells me another. And unless the heart is protected diligently, it's going to side with things that are wrong. Whatever we feed our spirit with is what it's going to be stronger in. Remember when David stood before Goliath? What spewed out of his mouth? Faith. Faith-filled words. Not even an ounce of fear came out of that young boy's mouth before this huge giant. Why? Well, like a jack-in-a-box. Jack's in the box, he comes out. Right? Well, whatever's inside is going to come out. And what were the others filled with? 
all the other warriors, all the Israeli army, what were they filled with? And what came out? Did you hear that giant? Did you see how big he is? Hey, dude, this guy's huge. I'm not going out. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine the conversations that were taking place? Why don't you go? I'm not going to go. What about Saul? He's head and shoulders taller than anybody else here in this army. Let him go. Oh, hey, I'm not going. No one in the Israeli army dared go fight Goliath. But a young boy comes along. There's not even a thought in his mind as to what he was going to do. He got a lion and a bear. What's a giant? Right? But why does it spew out from the inside? You know why? Because he was filled with faith on the inside. You see, he meditated in the presence of God. He watched his father's sheep. And I'm telling you, he took it to heart. And when he, as a shepherd of the sheep, looked in the mirror of his own life and said, I lay down my life for my father's sheep. I'll protect them with my life. Whether it's a lion, whether it's a bear, whatever it might be, I'm willing to sacrifice all to see to it that I protect these sheep. He's not a hireling. He's a shepherd, a good shepherd. But then as he was probably one evening, just maybe kicking back and relaxing, looking up at the stars and said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. He couldn't go to sleep at this time. All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He, under the unction of the Spirit, I'm sure, wrote that psalm by inspiration. And that, what was he saying? I'm their shepherd, but you are my shepherd. I can chase down a bear. I can chase down a lion. And indeed, I will chase down this giant. Who do you think you are? That came from inside him. Because when he was shaken, when he was pressed, you see, when he faced a difficult situation. What came out was what was inside. And that was faith. And he overcame. Faith is of the heart. Uh, this illustration, I've used it many, many times. It bears repetition here real quick. You, you put up a, a, a tightrope between, let's say, a ravine. One side to the other side. 300 feet down. And, say, 50 feet across. And this... This guy standing there, he's going to do this great feat. He's going to walk across and back. He's got 100 people there, and he says to the 100 people, how many of you believe I can do this? 75%, 75 people say, I believe you can. So he goes off and walks across back. No problem at all. He gets a wheelbarrow and says, how many believe I can walk the wheelbarrow across and back? Uh, we believe it 80, 80%. Put up their hands. You can do it. We know you can do it. We saw you do that. We do this. He goes across and back very easily. No problem. He puts 200 pounds of rock in that wheelbarrow and says, how many believe I could walk across and back? Hmm. 90% now. I saw you do it three times. I know you can do it. Okay. He does it. No problem. How many believe I could put a human body in the wheelbarrow, take him across and back? 100% go up. Okay, Janie, get in. Okay, Lonnie, get in. 
Are you getting in? No. You getting in? No. Chris, you getting in? <laughs> See, it's easy to say, I believe you can do it. But when the rubber meets the road and you got to get in the wheelbarrow, if you believed it, you'd get in. If you just agree to it, you won't. And I'm sure you're joining many of the other people that says, well, I agree that you can do it. I don't believe that you can do it. And that's one of the illustrations that really help us better understand what faith is all about. Faith without hesitation jumps in the wheelbarrow because it believes. And you know what? That's how God wants us to believe him. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Faith is of the heart. That's where it originates. In the heart. It's not the head. It's not agreement. It's not mental assent. It is through the process of meditation. Something that rises up big within the person's spirit. And then it's just released. In times of, of need. For the word of God is quick. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of what? Soul and spirit. See head and heart. And of the joints and marrow. And as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the what? Of the heart. Notice how all these scriptures connected with faith. Trust the Lord with your what? Heart. Protect your heart diligently. Out of it flow the forces of life. You see, faith is not a mental power. It's not positive thinking. Faith is a spiritual power. And it comes from the heart of a person. And that's the key. And that's where we often miss it. And we try to use other things like, I believe in prayer. Don't get me wrong. But you know, it's faith that makes prayer work. It is not prayer that makes faith work. It's faith that makes prayer work. And so we need to spend more time meditating the word of God and building up faith within the heart. How? Meditation is nothing more than musing over the word, just saying it over and over again, over and over again, until that same truth registers upon the heart and not just the head. For example, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we start and continue doing that. What does it do? It begins to build on the inside of us through meditation. Matter of fact, do you remember the Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 where he said, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. Day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written in therein. Then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. What he was telling Joshua is your success and prosperity is dependent on you. I'm all in. I'll be there. He said, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. But it's up to you, Joshua, to see to it that this word does not depart out of your mouth. But you meditate therein day and night that you may Observe to do. A doer of the word is one who meditates the word. So it's not just reading it religiously. You know, sometimes we're guilty of this. And I'm sure we've all been guilty of this. I read two chapters today. Aren't I holy? 
What good is it reading two chapters that are detached from our lives? That do not connect with us and God. But if you just take one verse of scripture. And you mull that over and over. I believe to see the glory of God. I be- Did I not tell you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you. Just take that one verse of scripture he is, as he was talking. To Mary Martha, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? What's the key to seeing the glory of God? Believing. I believe to see the glory of God. I believe to see the glory of God. I believe to see the glory of God. If I can get all of us in our congregation on a daily basis to start saying, when I go to church, I believe to see the glory of God. Not just in church every day of our lives, but when we gather together, I believe to see the glory. I believe to see the glory. I believe to see. You know, the first million times, it may be just something that you're saying. But I'm telling you, as the momentum builds, as you and I continue on, I believe to see the glory. I believe to see the glory. I'm not there to be entertained. I'm not there to have my ears tickled. I'm there to see the glory of God. I'm there to see God save the lost, heal the sick, and set the captives free. I'm there to see Him save marriages. I'm to see Him bring wayward children to come back home, praise God, for financial miracles to take place. I am there to believe that the living God is truly a living God and not just like the false gods that other people serve, that have eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear, hands that cannot handle, feet that cannot walk. But the God that I serve, He has eyes that see, He has ears that hear, they're attentive to the righteous. He's got a hand that reaches out, a saving grace in His right arm, praise God, that will uphold us. Amen. I believe to see the glory. What about you? Holy Ghost power. How is it going to happen? Believing and Holy Ghost power. Faith in Holy Ghost power. Well, guess what? Holy Ghost power is in you. Holy Ghost power is in me. Are we believing in that? Do we have that on the inside of us? Do we have that glory in an earthen vessel? Then you know what? We need to start saying it and continue saying it until it comes out of our ears. I've got Holy Ghost power in me. I, what about this? If this doesn't get you going, then you can't get going anywhere. The power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me, in you. If the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you. This was the greatest working of God's almighty power. And where is it? Do we believe it? Or are we just mentally assenting to it? See, you see the distinction? We've got to believe it. And to believe it, we've got to say it. And if we'll say it and say it and say it, if our mouths will feed our hearts faith, then when we need faith, our heart will feed our mouth faith. Hallelujah. So God's done His part. We've been redeemed. Praise God, it's already done. We have redemption. We have all the blessings of God. They're ours, the full blessings of the gospel of Christ. All that's left to do is our part. So can we do it? 